Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Welcome to the news, a special Mr. Governor edition. We'll explain who Mr. Governor is in a little while. Actually, it's just the term that they used to address the governor. In the movie Little Pink House, which we will be talking about a little bit later in the show, Little Pink House, of course, is the story of the Kelo case, which blossomed, if that's the right word, in the late 1990s uh, in New London and then sprawled into the 21st century. Catherine Keener and Gene Triplehorn play key historic roles in the movie. And there is a character representing Governor John Rowland, but not named as such. He is simply Mr. Governor. And speaking of Mr. Governor, uh, how about Mr. Guitarist? Uh, Jim Chapdelaine is an Emmy Award-winning musician, producer, composer, and recording engineer and a patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Tanisha Dugan, a producing associate at Theater Works. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, director of development at Covenant Preparatory School. Uh, and we're going to begin, uh, as, as everything must begin, with... Um, with Kanye West. You know, somebody <laughs> once said... Wow. Well, if, if he had his way, anyway. Right. Um, uh, a famous person once said that Kanye West is uh, a very talented musician and kind of a jackass. Um, now, that person... Does anyone know who that person was? That would be President Barack Obama. That would be President Barack Obama. While he was president, too. President right. off That's the most controversial thing he did. I, In I, light of what's happening today, just think about that. Right. He said the <laughs> he word said jackass. jackass. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, yeah, that was like... That was headline news. Investigation. So, breaking, breaking news. So that was how things went between uh, Kanye and one of his presidents. Of course, he and President Bush uh, did not get along very well either. Uh, Kanye famously said during Katrina that President Bush did not care about black people. Uh, and now uh, he's getting along great. He's finally found a president he really likes. <laughs> and that, that, of course, would be uh, Donald Trump. Uh, this week, uh, they tweeted love for each other. Uh, and uh, Kanye wore a MAGA uh, hat. And Signed. Signed, and Trump called him cool, uh, and a whole bunch of other things happened, and a lot of other people got involved, and I don't even know exactly. So I'm in a – let's just sort of try – I mean there's a lot of ways that you can kind of process this whole thing, right? Uh, so I don't know. Do you, do you But do you have like a take <laughs> that you could – like, uh, you know – Two narcissists falling in love. Yes. Okay. I actually think that's that's a little bit of it. I uh, seem to. So first, I feel like I have to say I am not a Kanye apologist, okay. but I can see the pattern. Yes. And when he has an album that's about to release, he does these kinds of things. He rejoins Twitters and he says outrageous things. And I think there is something um, kindred in the way in which he and Trump uh, court public opinion uh, and use the media to gin up attention. Uh, and it's working. We're talking about Kanye. Everybody's talking about Kanye, whether <laughs> it's a, a blog or a major newspaper. Um, so, yeah, and narcissism is apparently uh, the act of the day. Well, I think one reason that two narcissists can have a relationship is that in any relationship, <laughs> they have to be assured that this relationship won't compete with the most important relationship in their lives, which is the one they have with themselves. Yes. And so Trump and Kanye can be 
you know, they, they can enjoy each other's company knowing that there's no threat to the, to the primary relationship. So, yeah, I think, no, of course, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll swing back to the question of and also. I suspect there's a little bit of performance art in here. Yeah. I wanna, sure. We'll find out in about two years or so whether right. or not that's true. But right. I suspect there's a little of that in there, it, too. Is Kanye a, playing a crafty long game of contrarian public awareness and like he knew all this is going to happen and he's just playing it out and later on he'll come back and he'll do a controversial correction or about face. Who knows? I mean Chance the Rapper weighed in today. So now the only thing we're missing is super hot fire in well, rap battle parody. Well, I mean, you know, one thing that I ask people when I'm interviewing them about Donald Trump is crazy or crazy like a fox. And the same question goes with Kanye. I mean, we have some evidence in Kanye's case in the form of that he's more of a fox. <laughs> yeah, well, well, also that he's been, he's been hospitalized too. I mean, he's he's also has had some you know documentable psychiatric disturbances. And they're both really impulsive creatures, right? I mean, running up and grabbing the mic from Taylor Swift, right or wrong, that was a. An impulsive Trump, act, Trump apologized for doing that. By right, right. Just, no, he, but I think he, he actually need to be grabbed Taylor of Swift. The difference between mental health and addiction; those are two separate illnesses, and right. so we tend to conflate them, especially when it comes to artists, and particularly when it comes to black artists. You know, we go towards the mental health, and we could have a long conversation about our use of mental health as an excuse for bad behavior. I suspect there's something uh, with Kanye that's probably between uh, two ferns. <laughs> All right. Time. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yes. Time for you to weigh Two in, Tracy. Fast reference. Reference. I don't know. I think that um, I think the, the thought that he is contrarian is accurate, um, you know, to be controversial, to say the thing that's going to stir people up. Um, I was reading something about when his he made his comment about George Bush. At that point, we hadn't had a black president. There was no Black Lives Matter. This was not the forefront of our social conversation it started to bring it more that way and it was so inflammatory and oh my gosh, how dare you say something like that and and call a white man racist when he's not, but mm, I'm not sure that he wasn't wrong. Um, But nobody else was saying that. So it gave him a lot of flack, but it also was probably that cracking open of the door on a, a grander stage. Now this... I'm not sure whether it's going to have the same positive benefit down the line where people say, oh, gosh, at least somebody's saying something because eh, he's also posing with somebody who I think I saw a caption somewhere when he had his MAGA hat on. One of the gentlemen he was with was gesturing in a way that indicated something along the lines of white supremacy. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but sort of mixing yourself up in that loses a lot of credibility for me when you're trying to say one thing a few years ago and then something else now it just it well, just I hope it wasn't Leo Cohen that would be sort of awkward if he was the one <laughs> I mean he did request I read his Twitter feed last night out of a, out of a sense of duty to the show and and I am not in any way qualified to diagnose somebody's mental health but it felt a little manic to me but again if that's the long game and he's about to drop a record and he's just stream of consciousness tweeting because he's back on Twitter and people are paying attention. I mean, he has two and three hundred thousand likes on his tweets. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of attention, you know. So uh, Kim Kardashian West has tweeted to the media trying to demonize my husband. Uh, let me just say this. 
Your commentary on Kanye being erratic and his tweets being disturbing is actually scary. So quick to label him as having mental health issues for just being himself when he has always been expressive is not fair. Um, the content of that tweet notwithstanding, I want to go back to I, – I think I'm sort of in Tanisha's camp about this. And by overarching, my umbrella theory is this. We are obviously living in reality television right now and we have a president who comes from reality television. Uh, I think Kim Kardashian is kind of a natural bridge between uh, these two things that, you know, I mean, when, when we think about that notion that started decades ago that maybe people would be become famous for just kind of being in the proximity of somebody important or something. I mean, it, it, we started with Kato Kalin, uh, who also has two Ks for initials, uh, the, the pure distillate trickling out of the other end of the pipe is the Kardashians, right? These are people who've perfected a kind of very em empty form of fame. But the rule of reality television is that something has to happen at all times, mm -hmm. you know, and that's been Donald Trump's rule, right? That I mean, something has to happen all the time. Otherwise, people won't write and talk about him. So he makes something happen. So it always, there'll always be something about him. And I think Kanye does the same thing too. It's like, Who's going to talk about me if I don't talk about myself first, right? Mm -hmm. And what is there to talk about if I align myself with what the entire swath of black and brown America is saying right now? Like, where where is the rub, <laughs> right? Where's the conversation, truly? How am I special? How am right. I standing or, out? Or if he just goes, I'm a, I'm a rapper and I'm a musician and here's the tracks. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this when I did it and I use a zip cut on this. If he starts talking, how much of that can people take? It's and not they're enough. not doing it, right? Beyonce is not doing it. I mean, she just did the blackest performance at Coachella one has ever seen. Kendrick is not doing it. I mean... Kendrick's work is not is not accessible to people who aren't black or brown. That's just fact. That's just where black artists are living but right people now. People do love so, Kendrick. And people love Kendrick. But I, I think Kanye is just having a hard time finding his place. Yeah, his, well, I yeah. mean, one way of looking at this, I, I was I read so many pieces about this. I can't remember who wrote what, but uh, some black commentator on this wrote that one in eight black males in America voted for Donald Trump. He said, Kanye is just the eighth brother. He goes, you know, <laughs> we all know some of these eighth brothers. <laughs> we all know some of them. Um, and and I'm, I, what I think is interesting is, to your point, Tanisha, that nobody else is doing this. And But for when Kanye does this, well, first of all, it was paired up with Chance the Rapper kind of saying, uh, first of all, Chance the Rapper also getting praise from Donald Trump for, that he even knows who Chance the Rapper is. It's kind of amazing. But uh, and, and Chance the Rapper saying, look, there's no rule that says that black people can't be Republicans or they have to be Democrats. Uh, since then, he's, I think, I guess he's, he's there's, there's late breaking news on this now. Well, he just, yeah, he weighed in uh, like half an hour ago, I think. Uh, and John Legend, they, they try to get their to, comments out in time for the notes. Yeah, because they all are. This is part of that culture. You know that this yeah. is hip hop culture right now. Um, um, so he's backing off from that a little bit. I think so. Or he just want to be lumped in. Yeah. He's showing his support for Chicago and saying, "Hold on a second. Right. You know, yeah. Trump told uh, told us that it was a hellhole, and right, uh, right, right. I don't want to say that I stand behind that." Right. I think his statement mm. is accurate. Black and brown people do not have to be liberal. They do not have to be Democrat. Unfortunately, Trump very much misinterpreted that and said, I'm just going to take that as support for myself, which I think most people would not have seen it that way. But Trump did. And so I think that. Yeah, well, he did say, what do you have to lose? That. Right. He did, and yeah. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He, he repeated that statement on Fox and Friends this week, actually. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, another part of this is what, what Tanisha was talking about, which is that a, a lot of other 
black musical artists, artists of a comparable rank to Kanye feel like, well, I got to say something now. Uh, so, I mean, Chance has already had to kind of work with this a little bit. Um, the, my favorite so far is Lupe Fiasco, who said, uh, who has collaborated with Kanye, as has practically everybody. Um, and he said, he basically said that he didn't really agree with what Kanye was saying and that he thinks Trump is a demon. Uh, <laughs> But he said, on the other hand, this is a guy who, you know, when he says something about the president, the president actually answers him. Right, right. Well, he, they both speak dragon. Right. So, yeah. What, you know, know. With dragon energy. Yeah. Do, do we know what dragon energy is? Is that just – It's just a is, thing. Is it a thing or is I, it – Does it have to do with Daenerys if you don't know it, you, you can't – if you don't have it, you can't understand. Well, we we can't the, understand. Wait a minute. Shouldn't we ask BS in the Asian the person? Oh. <laughs> You do know that when I read that, I was like, neither one of I you come there. from dragon <laughs> cultures. What are you even saying? Yeah. That was my first thought, too. Is this too. like Game of Thrones dragon or Asian yeah. dragon? Well, wasn't there know. so, who had the tiger blood thing? Was that, that was Charlie Sheen, right? Yeah, yeah he did tiger blood. Yeah, so yeah. somebody took tiger, so they had They're to. They're appropriating your culture, something. man. <sighs> <laughs> well, what else is And now? so on and so on. <laughs> right, right, right. But, right. But I think, you know, the other question, I mean, okay, there's, there's sort of a bridge. I, I hate to bridge into such a bad place, but one of Kanye's other ill-considered, I mean, he, he, in many respects, this guy is a very exciting musical performer and been very generous in lots of ways, but this is not the first time he's done something really weird uh, or said something really unpalatable. Uh, he has also tweeted in all capital letters, I mean, not today or yesterday or anything, but in the past, Bill Cosby innocent, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and... I, well, we, we found out yesterday that is not true. So. Seems not to be the case. Although Wesley Morris wrote this beautiful piece on page one of the New York Times today, you know, about how and, – and I think you can sort of apply it a little bit to Kanye, although it's obviously not as extreme. But he's basically saying, you know, there are ways in which the Huxtable family influenced my life that can't be surgically removed from me. That, you know, whatever Bill Cosby was or is or has turned into or has been identified as, there's a way in which I have this other thing that was given to me and it can't be taken away. Uh, and I thought you're – yeah, you're raising – waving. I'm just amening. If, there was, if this were on TV, you'd see me shaking yeah. my head emphatically because it's true. Right. I mean the Huxtables are like in, ingrained in the fabric of the kind of human that I have become. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of, I think, the the outlook of my family, the way in which I think my parents modeled what it meant to be successful. In, in some ways, some of the things that they've said to me, you know, are direct sort of quotes from the Cosby show. There's, there's a way in which... I, as as much as I wish it were not true, I can't erase him. Yeah. Dave Chappelle has a – did you see his unpacking of that? Mm -hmm. a, a very complicated unpacking that we probably even can't even reference here. But, but Like many things it, Dave Chappelle. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like all things Chappelle. But I thought it was a, a really effective unpacking, you know. But that – see, the, I mean uh, the, the, the connection, the Papulian through line that I make here is that you, you have to struggle with many artists, mm -hmm. you know, Woody Allen, wh right. whoever it is. You ultimately have to make some kind of reckoning or decision. Either I'm going to say, well, you know what? It turns out that's who you really are, so screw it. I'm done. You know, we're done. Or you, say, or you make some other – I mean, I don't know. Like, or are we in an age right now where the artist is um, inextricably tied to their – to the art? Like well, the art can't be separate from the artist because of the, the sort of way information is passed and the, and pop culture. I'm not sure that's true. I'm just throwing it out to the news. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. I think in a way that's true because especially in this world of social media and all of this, we feel a different attachment to our celebrities than we probably did generations ago where certain aspects of them could be kept quieter or we didn't see their, you know – 
they're brushing their teeth in the morning because they posted a selfie of it. But I think it also goes to that old adage. And I'm using a word here that we have had some conversations about what is the actual definition, but all your faves are problematic. Mm -hmm. All the people that you admire, those celebrities, everybody has something problematic about them. And I don't mean complicated. I mean unpalatable, maybe a little disturbing, something that is a problem. Could add Tom so. Brokaw to that, apparently. <laughs> I was reading something you know? while we were we were sort of getting ready for this about, uh, I want to say it was Dylan, and how he had said at a dinner, dinner party, you know, his support for George Wallace, which I think, you know, if it weren't 30, 40 years ago, and it came out through Twitter or an Instagram post, we'd be having a very complicated relationship with all of that work. And so I think we have to, A, understand that humans are complicated, that we say effed up stuff that comes out of our mouths uh, sort of instinctually or accidentally. But I do think there's something about like what happens post-knowing and what do you do post-knowing in support of these artists, right? Like I can't remove the pieces of Bill Cosby's work that is embedded in who I am, but I can surely not support, although I don't think he's creating much these days, <laughs> any work right. that's coming post, right? right? I don't know. Maybe you don't eat by the Jello Pops. Right. So. Well, I, I, I'm, first of all, I want to say I, I struggle with this all the time with all kinds of people, including going back to Ezra Pound. I'll tell you mm. what, if Ezra Pound had a Twitter account, there just wouldn't be any Ezra Pound, you know? <laughs> I mean, if he like said all that stuff that he believed. Ezra Pound is like a really horrible person, a dreadful human being, and a vicious anti-Semite, and a guy who knocked around a few asylums himself. You know, but, uh, you know, this like, poetry is like his poetry. Some of it's really important. I don't know what to do with that. I, I mean, he's really the kind of person I detest. But some of the poetry can that's sort of part of the it's part of civilization. You know, you can't take it out. Hey, I'm required by our charter to mention the monkey selfie case, which I realize the rest of you may not be entirely conversant about. No, look <laughs> at you shake your head about the monkey <laughs> selfie. Um, Poor monkey. So there's been, we've actually covered the monkey selfie case on the nose at least three and maybe four times. Um, so this is the story of a, a photographer who set up, a nature photographer who set up a camera kind of in the hope that a monkey would take a selfie. And the monkey did and it became very popular. I have a T-shirt of that <laughs> selfie that I bought in London. And you um, didn't wear it today. I didn't wear it. It's dirty. Um, or I would have. Anyway, a ruling, the latest ruling in this case. So PETA has joined as – I think it's called a, a nearest friend, something like that. They try to join this case on behalf of the monkey. The whole question is, is the monkey entitled to some of the proceeds or maybe all of the proceeds of a <laughs> photograph that the monkey took? Do um, they know where this monkey is? Like could they find the monkey to – Give him the sack of that, bananas that they purchased with. What would he do with the money? Right. Yeah. Would he spend it wise or would he invest it? And I'm and sure you discussed this, this in your previous three shows. thing about like what is human and what what is allowed to get the same rights as a human being? Like I just – that to me is very strange. Read the book <laughs> Sapiens. It's laid right out. It's laid right out there in, in Sapiens. Well, in any case, well, first of all, in answer to your question what we've discussed in the past, the only clear memory I have of all this is at the end of a fairly lengthy nose conversation about the monkey selfie and this lawsuit uh, for the copyright, uh, Carolyn Payne saying, as only she can, my only question is, what is the monkey going to do with the money? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a good question. Uh, All right. The monkey's name is Naruto, by the way. So I don't know. Maybe you just like 
Like Maybe Papa? he's got an email address. I have no idea how you get in touch with him. That's um, but, in, and Naruto. but anyway, oh. the, the federal appeals, appeals court has decided that uh, Naruto does not have standing uh, oh, to bring this suit. So he's on a bender now. Like, just life, life isn't hard up. enough for monkeys that now you have to say that they don't have standing. Actually, this may have some serious implications as animal rights lawsuits do begin to move into the courts. And there are questions of, I mean, you will see there are already cases moving through about whether a chimpanzee has the right not to be experimented on, for example. That's a little um, more understandable, different. though. Right. That's a different well, thing. This, I mean, yeah. do, do bacteria have the right to the, the slides upon which they're being studied? Where do you draw the line? All right. So we're going to draw the line right now with a little bit of time to ask you to support shows like this one where we talk about monkey selfies <laughs> and <laughs> – <laughs> and presidents and hip-hop artists and, and Little Pink House and all kinds of stuff like that. So coming up, we get some very – oh, no, here's what we've got. I almost forgot. What we've got is last week, some of your other friends from the nose taped a – recorded a fundraising appeal. Ooh. So instead of throwing to the booth as we usually do, uh, you are going to hear the affirmation, uh, aforementioned Carolyn Payne and Rand Cooper and Irene Papoulos. Nice. I know that you just heard me speaking, but I'm here again. It's the last day of our pledge campaign. And so we asked some of the people who are on the nose on a regular basis, Carolyn Payne, Irene Papoulos, and Rand Richards Cooper, to talk a little bit about why you should pledge not only to this radio station, but to this show. Irene, you want to get us started? Uh, to this show in particular, you know, it's um, it's a great show. There's so many. There's It's such a variety of all kinds of things, you know. And I... Um, you know, when people say do your part in terms of asking me to pledge, I always feel like, well, why do I, you know, don't don't demand that I do my part. But I'm always I always like it when people when I pledge because it feels if because I want it's because I want to support it, you know, and it's just a it's it's where else do you get conversations? What you can't get in a loud restaurant, you can get great conversation about an incredible range of things from Colin. You never know who he's going to be talking to next or what he's going to be talking about. Carolyn's going to give out the phone number and also make her own observations here. All right. So you want to call one 584 or you can go to WNPR.org. And uh, you should definitely do that because you pay for your Netflix, you pay for your Hulu, your Amazon Prime. So you may as well pay for your WNPR because it is just as much quality. You need it in your life just as much. So call. (laughs) I started listening to NPR when I was in my 20s. I really didn't know much about public radio. And quickly I found whether it was back then Morning Pro Musica, later Car Talk, and then uh, um, All Things Considered, it hit a range of notes that made up, you know, really like the full symphony of things you want in life. Information, news, perspective, and even, yes, humor. Now, as for the Colin McEnroe show, humor is there. How could it not be? Colin's the host. But this is homegrown radio here, and that's really important to support that. A lot of people don't really know what goes into making a show like this. And they, they tend to think, oh, it's all, you know, national public radio. No, a homegrown Connecticut-based show is a lot of work done by local people. It's often the case so that I'll find some interesting topic and I'll email Colin and I'll say, oh, this is a, to- this is a perfect McEnroe show. Seconds later, it comes back the link to the show that's already been done. The range of topics this show covers, whether it's the sort of cultural history of being redheaded or uh, the special problems that identical twins have or, you know, something about entomology. 
the McEnroe show. Toilets. Toilets. Anything. He'll cover anything and, and everything. And, and constipation. We did uh, different shows. And uh, give you a fresh perspective. And to give a fresh perspective shows on, on toilets. Constipation. <laughs> that's um, what you need. So 1-800-584-2788. That's the number to call. 1-800-584-2788. Give us a, make a pledge to us. Or it's really easy to donate online at WNPR.org. So Irene, you know, you were on, I think you and Rand were maybe on the first uh, episode of The Nose that we ever did. And I wanted to have some something that was a little different from the way public radio was at the time. I wanted to have people who were just good talkers. They weren't experts on, on something. That, you know, we, we would decide the topics after we booked the guests, which in public radio never does. So maybe you can say, you just said something about conversation. I know it's something yeah, you prize highly. Yeah, well, and I like, uh, I always like listening to, to any no's because it's not about, it's just People talking about their thoughts about it. They don't have to be experts. We don't have to be experts. We like to dig into things. We have the luxury, um, unlike any other, almost any other media, of just kind of taking time to sort of develop a thought or think about a thought or give our opinion on something that we have no understanding of, like Kendrick Lamar necessarily, but <laughs> we have something. And um, yeah, the first show, I remember we talked about. I think it was before it was called The Nose. We talk, I remember talking about the Gore's marriage and, you know, the breakup. It's the breakup of the Gore's marriage and how maybe it wasn't so terrible, even though everyone was saying it was. And um, I'm yeah. amazed. You, I, I didn't remember that. So, Carolyn, just a few seconds left. But I think the other thing we tried to do on The news is take people on journeys, take people on trips and and. Uh, we've done that to you, right? You've wound up. You yeah, much this more show has ago. taken me to places I never <laughs> thought I wanted to go, never <laughs> thought I needed to go. <laughs> um, but that's that's the amazing thing about it. And I I have really grown to develop friendships with the people who are on the show and and get to be part of these fascinating conversations on all of these topics is just so amazing. All right. Please, please, if you've heard all that, it means anything to you, call 1-800-584-2788. Uh, make a pledge, any kind of pledge, or go online at WNPR.org. That's WNPR.org. And we're coming right back. All right, we're back. Tonight at Real Artways, uh, the movie Little Pink House uh, opens. It is a movie about the celebrated Kilo case, which uh, started in the late 1990s in New London and stretched uh, into the next century uh, with a Supreme Court decision waiting on the other end of it. Uh, it's the story in particular of a single woman who buys a little uh, house uh, on uh, the river in New London near the harbor uh, and refurbishes it and rehabs it and paints it pink, uh, only to find out that, uh, well, uh, unaware would be a better way to put it and to set up the next clip, unaware that up in Hartford, dark and evil forces are plotting against her in the form uh, of, a, of a governor who I am prepared to tell you is John Rowland. The movie Little Pink House is not prepared to tell you it's John Rowland. He is only known, as you will see, as Mr. Governor. Uh, and so you hear him like scheming with his chief aide, who I think is meant to be Peter Eliff, who was, in fact, one of John Rowland's chief aides. Uh, and you, uh, the, the other person you'll be hearing is Gene uh, Triplehorn as a character named Charlotte Wells, who, in fact, is meant to represent Clara Gaudiani, the famous Connecticut College president. Uh, and what else? OK, that's all you need to know. Uh, cut to a semi-dimly lit governor's office where bad things happen. We take this blighted plot of land by the sewage treatment plant and we redevelop it. We uh, lure a world-class company to build some high-tech facility and boom, we've got jobs, tax revenue, economic miracle. It'll certainly complement the work you've already been doing. 
We rescue a struggling blue-collar city and everyone wins. Well, Mr. Governor, I've been in the trenches, and it is a tall task trying to pull off something like this in a town that takes five years to approve a stop sign. All we need is a land. Land under jurisdiction of a mayor who would give zero support. The state of Connecticut will make sure that you succeed. NLDC, New London Development Corporation. Sounds familiar. NLDC was established in 1978 with the goal of assisting with economic development. Oh, that's right. It's been gathering dust ever since, so we simply dust it off and give it to you. How generous. Now, why would you do that? You lead the NLDC, but the city officials are familiar with it, so they're comfortable. The NLDC finds a worthy project and it gets funded. Thanks to the governor. I simply just can't be the face of the operation, obviously. Just the mastermind. I am so, so sorry. That obviously is a clip from Avengers Infinity War. I don't know how that... <laughs> I, I don't know how... I, I blame somebody else. A terrible mistake on our part. No, that actually is from Little Pink House. As far as I know, Little Pink House is only being shown... I mean, in Connecticut, only being shown at Real Artways the start tonight. There's a, there are a lot of people who want to see this movie. Now... I hope you will still, some of you will still want to see this movie after you hear the panel discuss this movie. I, I hope they all go to it because it's a, it's a it's good It's a movie about Connecticut. Story. Right. It, and the only thing missing from that last clip was. <laughs> 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 and the right. fact that they yeah. call him Mr. Governor just reminds me of Walking Dead, of that character with the eye patch. Governor. Oh, right. the governor. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. we need to call him by his name. I can't, like. That was a distraction yeah. for me that they couldn't call him Roland. They did find a guy that looks remarkably like John Roland. Well, you know, he's kind of. I know. mean, th this is a whole separate conversation because I have long wanted to see John Roland depicted in the movies, and I always thought Liev, <laughs> Liev Schreiber was ah, the oh. perfect guy for this. I mean, mm. even in terms of the shape of the face and a little yeah. bit of the point of the nose can, and stuff can, like that. Can, you know. can we decide would that be mustached? Roland or Sons? Well, the, he only had a porn star mustache as a congressman. He never as a governor. Uh, you know, I tried to research that last night, but <laughs> you wouldn't believe the stuff that comes up when you Google Roland's mustache. Or, or, or Roland's porn star mustache. Porn star mustache. <laughs> but did you write the song last just, night? You're just kind I, of asking. I thought about it, and then he said he didn't have it. Well, let, let me... Um, down, I was ready. Let me see really if I can was. get... Uh, if I can kindle inside you any kind of affection for this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I'm prepared to say some nice things about this movie. I'm also prepared you to make fun start. of it. But, oh, no, I'm going to just start with the, um, the performance uh, given by uh, Catherine Keener as Suze Kilo. People are making You're noises. You're taking here. my good points. Well, I feel like <laughs> that, was, that was my good uh, point. Right, well, the uh, wonderful uh, Papulian thread is that she f feels better in the sunken place. Like Kanye. <laughs> That's a very wobbly Papulian thread. <laughs> I'm just thinking. But it's a frayed thread. Well, I feel like she's better in the sunken well, place. Well, let me set this clip up. Um, this is... Um, a, 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 a clip in which uh, uh, Suzette Kilo, played by the wonderful Catherine Keener, is visited by a kind of vulpine uh, real estate agent who actually turns out to maybe maybe not be quite as evil as she looks from the beginning. But uh, And uh, well, anyway, that's all you really need to know. Real estate agent comes to see Suzette Kilo. Uh, Mrs. Kilo! Hi! Hi. Mrs. Kilo, I have great news. They've agreed to increase their offer by $10,000. Over market value. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. You know, I never noticed that locket. It's beautiful. Oh, 
Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was my great grandmother's. Uh, yeah. yeah. Would you be interested in selling it? Oh, no. <laughs> it's an heirloom. So 500. 1,000? 2,000, I'll give you. What would it take, Lynn? Mrs. Kilo, if you don't sell now, the NLDC could pursue acquiring the property through other means. Thank you for telling me that. Will you do me a favor and just relay a message? Uh, tell them good luck. Okay. Thank you, Lynn. Listen, you take care. Okay, so try to remember the musical and then score. The teaspoon right. The, try to remember the, the musical score times. a little bit because Jim, Jim, Jim wants to talk about it at some point. But no, Tracy Wu Fastenberg has the floor. She wants to talk about the Keener performance. Because she was given not the best script no. to work with. I mean, that's probably a massive understatement. But I think she did a good job with what she was given. And I like her. And I know um, Tanisha's no, giving me a look she right is. now. And, and she's, she does fraught right. really good. Yeah, she does, does sort she of... Does she, though? Because she has the line, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> and I couldn't tell. She was... Fr- I'm so frustrated. <laughs> well, well, she's underacting. She says she's underselling it. <laughs> and so, I'm so frustrated. Yeah. Well, she needed the correct musical like cue to go with that. I remember Watching, walking out the first time I saw in, the, in its theatrical release uh, the movie Speed mm-hmm. uh, with my friend Lou Wise who turned to me and said one thing I liked about that movie was I was never confused about what was happening uh, <laughs> like I always knew and and to uh, to your point I mean you can sort of say that about Little Pink House even though it's about things like eminent domain and uh, quasi public uh, agencies like the NLDC and you are never in any doubt about what's happening or I mean they're or even cl- up to Tanisha whether somebody's feeling frustrated right. or they not. gave you the children's <laughs> board book version of it yeah, you know where they sort of cut it down and made it really mm. easy and I wish they hadn't I wish because it is such a complex thing that this movie is about I feel like they they dumbed it down for us or I, and I would That's say not to your the right point, word, but it's because, yeah, they simplified I'm stepping it. on you. But to that point, there is nothing ambiguous in this movie. Right. Every, everybody has a white hat or a black hat or whatever. Everybody's a good guy or a bad guy. And the only guy who even suggests ambiguity is is convenience store man. Barely. Mm-hmm. And and just like a hint of it, and then now I'm back on the team. Well, I think that's such an important point because I think it's that's the space where there's something to learn, something to get out of it when there is that ambiguity. Right. And when you lose it, it's hard to figure out why I'm watching this. All right, let right. me contextualize a little bit. Convenience store, store guy, <laughs> who actually has a name, but I don't know what it is, uh, in the movie is, so this, uh, maybe I should just say a little bit more about uh, what actually did happen. So uh, what happened was, uh, there was this piece of property uh, known as Fort Trumbull. Um, there was a plan to do this through sort of a public-private partnership to, to uh, for the benefit of Pfizer to create a kind of campus that would include housing and commercial stuff and uh, a room for a Pfizer. Uh, the title of the movie and the title of the book it's based on is kind of a little a joke about the little blue pill. Uh, Pfizer was in the middle of uh, a massive, um, you could say, engorgement of its uh, 
of its fortunes. And, well and so, so this is all sort of a, a little bit uh, based on that. Anyway, um, in order to do this, they, they wanted to you know, clear some space out. This, by the way, the, the space that winds up being the crux of this movie was not actually necessary for the development. I mean, even on the plans they filed, it was sort of park space or something. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they were taking the homes of some not particularly well-heeled people, little houses that people had maybe done some work on. These were not rich people. Uh, they tried to do it using eminent domain uh, despite the, and relying on some precedent that actually had started to crop up in the courts in the 1950s that governments could take things for eminent domain and transfer it for private uh, enterprise. Uh, and that whole thing kind of made its way through the courts. So, but anyway, people were being offered money for property that wasn't necessarily stellar property. And convenience store guy is the guy who has a like a deli there. And at one point, he says, I'm going to take the money. This place hasn't been thriving for a while. I want the money. Um, so that's the ambiguity you're talking about. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing about this case, and I think the thing that the movie kind of misses by painting so many of the characters as black or white is this idea of hipness and that this corporation is going to come in with their money and their uh, tax support and allow this this city to become hip all of a sudden by pushing out these people. And that to me is like the interesting crux of the movie. And yet we don't really get to get into that by the way they've sort of structured it. No, we don't explore that at all because especially in Connecticut, that's something we talk about a lot, revitalizing, you know, this area, that area, this city. And it could have been a great discussion about what does that actually mean for the people who are there? Is it really a benefit or is it a capitalist concept, you know, in the way that we sometimes apply it here in our own state? We did not get into any of that whatsoever, except for with convenience store guy who looks a little bit like an over-mascara Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like... He, did, okay. he could have There's been a little bit shaggier. Yeah. To, to, um, I mean, this is a guy uh, who took, like, chicken poop and, like, threw yeah, it in yeah. town hall, and he's talking about that. I'm like, this guy might be fun and cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there, I mean, look, there's much that you can kind of mock about this movie, including the fact that it's not a convenience store anyway. It's a deli. But it's what's weird is he has three sausagey kind of things hanging way far out. Have you noticed that? <laughs> there's only three of them. <laughs> the things that are hanging down right. that are sausage That's your things. blight that they talk <laughs> about. Charcuterie uh, stock is very limited. But... Um, um, and, and there are there are problems with cuts and stuff like that. There's a moment early in the movie where the Roland figure uh, says something evil or cryptic and then storms out of the room. And they cut to Gene Triplehorn, who's playing this college president based on Claire Guardiani, who's supposed to you know carry this whole thing off. And she kind of rolls her eyes. And then the camera just kind of stays on her, and so she makes another face and a couple. Of, and, th- and she's probably thinking, "Well, they'll edit this." Right. No, right. I'm just, just giving them a lot just, of takes. It's, no, it's one long one. It's never end, you know. So, but I will say uh, one thing that I do want to say before we run out of time is that I'm sort of grateful to this movie because I, I lived as a journalist through this period, and a lot of the things that are in this movie that are taken for granted, nobody knew at the time. Um, nobody knew. That it came out of the Roland administration. That was a very, very well disguised thing. There was a guy named Philip Langdon who finally explained this to me. He said, this is all started in Roland's Department of Economic Development. That's where it came from. It didn't come from New London. It didn't come from Pfizer. It was there. I, nobody knew that. It wasn't part of the coverage. And a lot of the coverage uh, by the press, I was sending out uh, some columns today from that time to the panel, was pretty 
approving. You know, everybody thought that Claire Gaudiani was this really cool person, you know, who combined – she was part of a generation of college presidents like Evan Dobell who uh, combined incredible fundraising chops with some scholarly credibility uh, and now she was going to get involved in, in revitalizing the city. And for the most part, people thought it was this great idea until it turned into the most hated Supreme Court decision in the history. I mean since Dred Scott or something. So, you know – and, and it might speak to something that's that's key about Connecticut, that Connecticut does towns really well, but it does not how to know how to do cities. Like we, we pretty much fail when it comes to making a city work. We do not have vibrant cities. No. But, Although, but, I mean it's a reason to keep trying. But, yes. but this kind of – you kind of get a look behind the curtain here. Well, go see it in at Real Art Ways anyway. Yeah. I mean – or. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking over yeah. at Tanisha. And, I think and bring if you're a teacup and a spoon. And a spoon. Yes. And make the yes. appropriate noises at the appropriate time. I think for someone like me who is, I think I was, you know, in college at the time this was happening, maybe didn't pay attention and only sort of kind of knew about it, it was interesting to sort of pique that curiosity and sort of learn more about it and then go look at different articles and things. So I think from that it has value yes. because this is our neighborhood. Now is that the why quality? Real Art is showing it? I, I'm not sure why. I, I think Real Art Ways is showing it. Yes, because maybe it didn't have <laughs> any obvious screen, and, and it is something. There's some really interesting, interesting public policy questions here. I, I don't there think are, it, yes. I don't think it rises to the level, the artistic level of yeah. what Real Art Ways typically shows, and it's a little bit more like kind of a number of people said like a lifetime movie or something like that. Made but, for TV. All right, so we have to stop here. So there'll be have be some time to endorse some stuff. Why don't we do that, and we'll be back. You may address me as Dr. Former Prisoner Governor or as Yeezus. Today's show is produced by Kanye McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish swims in New London, and the part of Bill Curry was played by the guy who played Roland. We'll be back on Monday with the scramble. And now, back to the little pink nose. All right, yes, welcome back to the little pink nose. Um, and it's time for people to make endorsements. Uh, Tanisha Dugan, would you like to get us started? Oh, surely. Um, I forgot what I was going to All endorse. Right. All right, you know what? <laughs> yeah, can bring you, you on the back end. Okay, Tracy Wu Fastenberg will get us going, and you'll go third, and by that time you'll remember. Yes, thank you. So mine is pretty basic. Um, I love good pizza, and my daughter loves good pizza. Uh, my husband's away this weekend. We went over to Park Lane last night to pick up a pizza, and that is the pizza that I ate growing up because my grandparents lived in West Hartford, and it is always as good as I remember it when I was little. It is delicious, and they are so nice to families. The guy gave uh, my daughter a quarter to get candy out of the machine when she was sugared up for the rest of the night, um, held the door, all that good stuff. So it's good food, good service. If you need just sort of classic pizza where there's a jukebox on your table, go to Park Lane Pizza. Hmm. All right, then. Uh, it's like the little pink house of pizza. Pretty much. Yeah. It's a little blue house. Right, a little blue yeah. house. All right, Jim Chaplin, what have you got? Uh, I have tomorrow morning. If people feel really ambitious, they could come and join us in Boston on the River Charles for our annual angiosarcoma awareness uh, race, which I will not be racing. I'll be tiptoeing and walking. I plan to come in last. <laughs> I claim that as my own. Uh, so you go to Cure. C-U-R-E-A-S-C.org, and the details are there. Um, and on May 20th, uh, the Shinolas, in conjunction with Indivisible Connecticut, are presenting our annual concert at Infinity Hall in the afternoon, featuring Jonathan Edwards, Christine Ullman, Mark Arelli, The Neils, John Pusset-Dart, Tyler Suarez, Tang Sauce, Parker Who, 
and Tracy Grammer and the Hartford Hot Several. And, wow. and a few, I just got word, yes. a few I think I know who people one of them, might jump in. I think I know who one of them uh, probably is. This is something I was involved in last year. I unfortunately will be uh, leaving the country on that very day. Otherwise, I wouldn't That's be again. That's a strong reaction, Colin. That uh, <laughs> uh, is, yes. Uh, but it's really fun. Country it's, next year. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And what I should just say that what Jim does is really remarkable. Jim and the Shinolas, which they are sort of the, one of the most amazing house bands that are, there has ever been. And what they do is they're the house band for everybody. So when Tank Sauce comes up there, you guys will just be, you know, working with his beats and stuff like that. But there's country artists, whoever's up there, they just completely transform their style. into. I talked to him the other day and I said, what about you with a pedal steel? Because that's what I'm liking is some hip hop with a pedal steel. And and he was was totally down with it. I should say that at the end of our show on Get to Know Your Fringe Candidates the other day, uh, you you hear Self Suffice rapping our Get to Know Your Fringe Candidates nice. theme, and there's beatboxing in the background. It was We did this years ago, and it was the young Tang Sauce, the very young Tang Sauce at the time. So there's a through line right there. All right. Do you know what you want to endorse? Now? Of course. And the through line continues because I'm going to start with a Women's Theater Festival at Heartbeat Ensemble. It starts next weekend, and Tang is one of the stars of the show next week. Tang and Toniel Watkins and Joni Weisfeld and Deborah Walsh. So uh, support women making theater all by themselves. So what, what do you get to see? In other words, it's like a so, benefit where there's music and stuff like that? Or n- so it's uh, it goes over the next three months. Next weekend starts the first play. It's called uh, the whole, uh, Fat and Blood or the Whole Varied Drama of Hysteria, and that is uh, by Hannah Sims. And then the following month is a piece by uh, Cindy Martinez called Pegao. And then the following month after that is a new playwright who I don't know very well. Um, I want to say her name is Sharice, but I... Go to Heartbeat's website and you will find out all the information you need. Um, support women artists and our local artists. Uh, and then I got to give a shout out because yesterday was uh, Connecticut Arts Day. I believe that was yesterday. Uh, and Christina Newman-Scott brought in uh, Bettina Love, Dr. Bettina Love, and she was fantastic, phenomenal. I feel like if we can figure out how to have her do a tour of every educational uh uh, facility in every uh, town and region of Connecticut, it would be fantastic because she just uh, reminded us where our arts and culture comes from uh, and what it has the power to do. All right. I want to recommend, first of all, that you read uh, A.O. Scott's review of Avengers Infinity War, which you're not going to be discussing at any nose at all ever. Um, really? And, and uh, we're just sort of maxed out on that stuff right now. But um, but although I will also let me recommend something, which is instead of, instead of going out to Infinity War, if you have never watched the most recent Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, that's on cable right now or on uh, like Roku kind of stuff. It's really good and it's really funny. It's it's I mean, I'm in this whole thing that I'm about to read a description of. It's really one of the little gems, and it's very Queens-oriented too, right? Sp- Spider-Man is from Queens. You really know it. There's a bodega cat. There's a, like all the stuff that you need. for. It. There's Donald Glover discussing mm-hmm. where the best sandwiches are in Queens. It, it really is a terrific little movie. Um, all right, so this is A.O. Scott describing the current state of uh, that whole thing. If Infinity War is a chunk of matter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a vast entity that long ago expanded beyond the usual boundaries of sequence and brand extension, this synergistic expression of the corporate interests of Marvel Studios and the Walt Disney Company, which now include 19 feature films and much else besides, has come to
come to be less a creative or commercial undertaking than an immutable fact of life like sex or the weather or capitalism itself. Now, that's a great sentence and kind of true too. Um, I also quickly uh, will uh, recommend uh, Killing Eve. This is a new thing on BBC America. I'm three episodes into it. It comes out. Doesn't, you can't binge it. Uh, it's Sandra O oh as a desk-bound MI5 officer who begins to track down a sociopathic assassin played by uh, an actress I've never seen before named Jodie Comer. Uh, both women are terrific. They become obsessed with each other. And uh, uh, so anyway, I do recommend it. Okay. So I'm going to take just a couple of seconds here. First of all, I want to thank uh, my wonderful nose panel here today, Jim Chapterling, Tanisha Dugan, Tracy Wu Fastenberg. Uh, you've been terrific as usual. You know, the nose is one of the things that we've started over the nine years uh, that this almost nine years that the show has existed. And when I uh, came here almost nine years ago, uh, I was hoping that I could do some real uh, experimenting. And this has been such a great place to do it. We've tried all kinds of things on the show, like we radio for the deaf. We've now invented a kind of programming that's radio that can be experienced by a deaf audience. Uh, but when I said the nose, even, people said, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to get people who are good talkers, and then I'm just going to have them talk about like whatever anybody else is talking about this week. And they said, well, it doesn't sound like public radio. But they let me do it, and it's why I want you to call 1-800-584-2788 right now. Uh, if you like this show, if you like the conversation you just heard and the conversations you hear on these Fridays and the other kinds of shows that we do over the course of the week, I hope that you really will uh, take this opportunity. I feel fortunate to have been able to work in a place where, you know, we can try some stuff. Um, uh, Ira Glass, after sort of checking out our show for a while, gave a speech in which he mentioned our show and described it. He unfortunately referred to me as Chris McEnroe, but that's another story. But he said, <laughs> he, right. he said one thing, he said, after listening to our show, he said, you know what, you can't break public radio mm. by, by messing around with it or experimenting. You can't break it, so stop worrying about that. And, and he saw that as something that, that we believe, and it is what we believe. But you can... Uh, deplete public radio if you don't support it. One out of um, nine people who listen to public radio actually do support it. So uh, get out of that latter category. It's sort of like Kanye being the eighth yeah. brother. <laughs> you, know? you, you don't want to be you don't want to be the, the one of those nine people who don't support public radio. You want to be the the ninth brother or sister. Uh, so please call one eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight. There's lots of ways that we can say thank you with Mother's Day flowers or a digital subscription to the New York Times or uh, if you go to wnpr.org and like donate now. You can see all of those things. But I just, you know, usually we throw to a booth and there's people talking. I just wanted to talk to you just this once, just me. And first of all, say thank you, thank you. Over the years, a lot of you have made this show and a lot of other really exciting programming possible by making those kinds of pledges, giving that kind of support. So thank you if you've already done it, if you're already a monthly donor or a sustaining member, all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't, would you consider it today? It's the last day of this pledge drive, if you've been kind of putting it off. Uh, and if you could do it right now, we sort of get credit for it. Oh, look at that. I just got a check from one of the panelists. I usually charge them $25 to be on this show. <laughs> you know what? Nobody has ever paid. I just send out, I send out the bills. <laughs> it's the first time anybody's ever done that. No, thanks for the donation. Thanks to you out there uh, if you are listening. And once again, thanks to Tracy, Tanisha, and Jim. I'm lucky to have such great panelists to live in a state where there's people like you who can Come on and be so interesting.